Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Yes, we are live. Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. Today, you are going to meet a woman who has an incredible love story to tell. It's not a harlequin romance, but it is in a book, and she wrote that she, that is titled Rebecca Rising, uh, How I Found Courage and Self-Love Through Friendship, Coaching, and Conversations with the Moon. Yeah. Rebecca learned one of the most important kinds of love there is, love of self, and uh, she also wrote and co-wrote, I should say, Sundays at 8.30, Two Decades of Life Planning with her best friend, colleague, Darlene Ryan. Uh, Rebecca is a speaker, writer, consultant, facilitator, and a coach with more than 30 years in the manufacturing, aerospace, and healthcare industries. She's an engineer, and I want you to remember this as we get into her story. All will become clear soon. Welcome, Rebecca, to the show. How are you? I'm great, Frankie. Thank you so much for having me today. Glad to be here. Oh, that's great. It's my pleasure, really. It was um, a very fun read to uh, a fun... Well, you're, you know, you're, my whole life was fun. Uh, <laughs> fun story to read, Rebecca Rising. Uh, I couldn't help but compare our lives. I was also married to an alcoholic. I also went through many of the journeys, self-journeys that you did through all the metaphysical, you know, the Reiki, the tarot, the dousing, all of that stuff. And we'll get into that. But it was kind of funny to, to see your journey and my journey kind of parallel in, in some respects. So, yeah, well done. We all get there eventually. <laughs> I think so let's you know you, you were Becky for a long time and you have changed to Rebecca and I also changed my name as, as I emerged into my what I call the true self so let's go back to um, I don't know where we should start should we start with, with with Becky at Kodak or Becky when she met when she met her husband where would you like to start let's tell your story yeah, I well, I met my husband in college. I went to Penn State and um, majored in engineering, as did my ex-husband, and that's how we met. And upon graduation, we moved to Rochester, New York, and we both got jobs as engineers. And I happened to be at Eastman Kodak Company, and that's where I met my friend uh, and colleague Darlene Ryan. That with we co-authored the book Sunday at eight thirty. And I mean, it's it's interesting that. Um, was it, okay. Being an engineer is kind of interesting for a woman, period. But it was kind of interesting to read your story because engineers aren't really known for their feelings. And I say that because I worked for the government of Ontario for a long time. And when my deputy minister was a was a uh, an engineer, and I was on a project where the performance measurement was by feeling. It wasn't by anything, you know. Uh, tactical that he could write in a book and go, you know, here, here's what we did. No, it was like, how are, how are people feeling? And so we measured people's feelings by how they smiled when they came in. And that wasn't good because he couldn't identify with that. And so you, I get, you're getting it now, right? So, <laughs> so it's kind of interesting how, um, you know, that your, 
as you went through your journey, they kept, what do you feel? What do you feel? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have feelings. Maybe. I don't know. Um, it was kind of interesting though. So your husband had no signs of, of alcoholism when you first met or did, was it just we're adults and we're drinking. And so that's kind of fun. You know, um, when we met in college, we were in the Greek system, fraternity and sorority. And so everything, you know, all our activities, there was always drinking. And I did not come from a drinking family. My family didn't drink at all. So it was, um, you know, kind of exciting for me and, and cool, you know. Yeah. And so we were doing all this partying. And he came from a family that um, drank considerably more. I mean, not alcoholic, but drank considerably more than my own. Um, and I, I just thought it was the coolest thing. His dad had a a keg on top in the basement and kids would run down and get pictures during the football games on a Sunday afternoon and things like that. So I, I just thought this was very cool. I didn't know, you know, and, um, as we, then we graduated got full-time jobs and found ourselves still like opening a bottle of wine most nights and you drinking beer in the weekend again while he's watching his football games. And it, it didn't seem like a problem until, um, we were married for quite a while. He had started his own business and, that went okay for a while and then it started to fail. And I was noticing, I was noticing we would open a bottle of wine, but yet he'd go get a beer. And I'm like, why, what do you need two drinks for? (laughs) And and again, you know, you mentioned being the engineer and the logic versus feelings. And it was more, you know, it didn't logical to me. Like, why, (laughs) what do you need two drinks for? Right. I wasn't that. Um, But it really took until his business started to fail and he was, drinking a lot and uh, that it became noticeable and actually a friend had to tell me um that she was actually doing some babysitting and housekeeping for me and she was around the house and at that time he had an office in the home and so she saw him during the day and she said you know what he's drinking during the day and you just need to know and once she said that I realized that I did know I did. yeah and I yeah I, I just want to explore this a little bit because if women are listening and they weren't sure, I, I, I kind of want to just give a little bit of insight into that. Um, I also had, like I said, I was married to an alcoholic. I had, it was a second marriage um, and I'd had my children my, and they were little and, and, you know, Hey, would you like a drink? And I go, Oh yeah, I feel like an adult. Yeah. Finally I can, you know, have a drink at the end of the day. And I wasn't drinking before. And, and it just felt I'm out of that stage where I'm breastfeeding. Oh, yeah, I can have a drink. Sure. This is fun. Um, but then I found little bottles behind the toilet, little vodka bottles where I found them underneath a seat of a car. And those are, you know, the signs. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why are they there? Like, you know, we're not drinking all that much. And, and we would go to his parents and they would have a never ending bottle of rye. And I thought, Oh, they just must not drink very much. But every time he we went, it was like, would you like a drink? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. And they, and so they would always give their son a drink. And when it got to be a problem, because sometimes he would be problematic with the drinking, his mom would say, well, I'll, I'll do it in water. So he tastes it. And I'm like, why do you have to do it at all? but they always gave him a drink. Now, I don't know if your in-laws gave drinks or if that was, you know, something that was important to them, but it was, for them, it was very social. It's after three, let's have a drink, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind so of kids or anything like that, but it was just, yeah, it was just part of their lives, you know, always the beer, you know, and other whiskey, whatever, always something around. Yeah. So when you, when it became a real problem, I know that in the book you wrote about, you know, you came down to breakfast and there's a, not a mug of coffee, but a mug of beer. Um, yeah. There's a big sign. <laughs> and he tried to hide it. He had beer in the coffee mug 
and he took the newspaper and he put it over it. I thought like a, like a little child, you know, to hide something in plain sight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Uh, but it didn't seem to embarrass him. And you would have conversations that he wouldn't remember. Yes. Or he chose to forget. Who knows, you know. But um, so so let's go to this, the meta, I got, in my first book, it was Midlife Mojo. And I talk about, emer- like, there's a metamorphosis that happens in midlife and how we emerge into our true self. And so I saw this pattern with you. You were finding Rebecca. And so how did you fall into let's say the, the metaphysical world, you, you were standing with a friend, I think, and a psychic said something to you. Is that the first encounter? Or? I think that's probably one of the very first things. Um, yeah. My friend, Arlene, I, we were, we take a retreat every year and we get together for a few days and we plan our lives for the next year. We set goals in a lot of different areas. And one of the things we do is we read books together. And so we were actually in a bookstore during our retreat looking for books. It was a metaphysical book. And uh, be the bookstore on the corner after we had just had breakfast at a nearby restaurant. We walked in there and this talking, and this woman just came up to us and she said, "I don't want to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm a psychic and I'm getting some information about you too, and I just wanted to share it. Is that okay?" And we're like, "Whoa, you know, here we are, both engineers. This is not part of our everyday experience at all." And we were freaked out, but we were like, "Sure." whatever. And, um, so she started sharing these things that she could not possibly have known. And, um, then she said to us, you know, you've been doing this life planning thing for a long time. Like, why don't you write a book about it? Are you documenting what you're doing? And we were like, how do do you know this stuff? And she's like, you know, I'm psychic. I've been doing this for 30 years. So we actually bought a book about, um, being psychic about increase, improving your intuition. And we bought a book called the law of attraction, which I had also recently been introduced to. And so that kind of was the very first thing. And then um, I just started to get invited to things. Sort of happened. I was invited to a dowsing class. And from there, I met somebody I was invited to a Reiki class. And you know, from there, I was invited to a class about crystals. And it just, it just kind of um, became, I think of it as the pearls on a string. You know, one thing led to another. Yeah, I find the universe, um, when, they, when they want to get your attention, they get your attention. And they're very good at it. And when the signs start to come, like you get invited to all these different things and, and, and you're going, which is interesting because it's like, you didn't really like dowsing. What's that? Like, why would I go to this? But you do it and, and you keep saying yes. And it's interesting. <laughs> you keep saying yes. But part of you is like, I don't really believe this stuff. I don't think this is real. Um, and yet what, what, what prompted you? What, what provoked you to keep, keep doing it? Um, well, the first class I went to was the dowsing class and, um, my youngest daughter and I were doing some volunteer work and we met this woman who was in charge of the foundation that we were working with and she invited us to dowsing class and she said, this is very important to me. This is something I rely on in my life. And we just really liked her and respected her. And we were like, we don't know what this is, but it must be good if she's inviting us to it. And we felt kind of honored, you know, she said, Mm -hmm. I don't share this with everybody. I just think you two would really benefit from this. So we went and yeah, I was very skeptical, you know, and I didn't know anything about housing. I only thought it was something you did with a fork stick to find water, right? Right, (laughs) right, right. On TV. And she gave us these homemade dowsing rods that were made out of coat hangers. And we were, and you know, I didn't even look at my daughter. I didn't know what she was thinking. She was about maybe 16, 15 at the time. Okay, so a little weird for her, yeah. 
a good sport and very open-minded and she's just like you know whatever happens it's going to be a good story if nothing else so um you know uh, she, she gave us these rods and she's telling us how to hold them and how to use them and i'm thinking the whole time you know this is crazy and it's not gonna work and she sent us kind of all off into different corners and said you know, um, your rods will show you a yes and no answer, you know, cause they, they cross or they move to this, they move. And I was like, this is nuts. You know, this, I'm going to play with these for a few minutes. Nothing's going to happen. And then I'll just go and tell the teacher, you know, this isn't for me. And I would just gather up my daughter and we would go home. But enough, I get with the rods and I'm holding them and I show me a yes and they moved. <laughs> I was like, what is this? And I thought, I did it. I, I moved them. Right. And I kept doing over. And I think what hooked me was just realizing I didn't do this on my own. You know, there's some energy, there's something making this happen that goes beyond, you know, just my physical body. And so I, I just was hooked by that. And I, I wanted to get more. And I learned about Reiki. That was movement of energy for, to promote healing. And all right, I want to learn about that. And still, you know, one part of my brain, always skeptical. And, um, but yet I just, I couldn't get enough of it. I just had to keep going and ultimately became a Reiki. Was it the same woman? I I couldn't, I couldn't kind of figure out if it was the same, because I think there's two women have the same name. Anne? Was it it the same woman that that did the Reiki, that did the dowsing, that did all the, the tarot, or are they all different people? Uh, they're all different people. Um, okay. The Reiki were the same in the book of uh, Louise. Um, but as I went on, I was exposed to a lot of different teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I also did the same, the Reiki, the dowsing, the tarot, the, you know, and then, and then you became a coach um, with the ICF and I'm also a coach with the ICF. So it's very like a lot of parallels. I'm just like, Oh my goodness, this is really crazy. <laughs> so um after, after the, and, and you were really, it's interesting with Reiki, um, because you, you really, um, you really felt attracted to Reiki and was that like, did you start to get messages when you did Reiki for, for people? Did, did you yes. get that? Yes, actually it took a little while, but I think, I think, yeah, that energy moving through you from the divine, you know, brings with it more than just the physical energy and warmth but also you know some intuitive information yeah yeah yes I, I found that too mm-hmm. that you get a lot of information um and and so you were still living with your husband though but you had moved you, you had worked at Kodak for what 20 30 years 20 years something like that years. and then yeah. um your husband had got another job and and you moved to North Carolina was it Yep. North. I always get the two mixed up, North and South. And I'm in Canada, excuse me. But um, so you moved to North Carolina. And how was that? Because I know a lot of people in North Carolina, when I was really um, into the metaphysical world, there's a lot of people there that are very um, into metaphysical in North Carolina. Yes. Because- yes. I found a community, lots of people exposed to lots of different things, which is well, I don't know that it's not what I expected, but it's, I had, because I had never thought about it. I've never been too exposed to, to right. any of those things while I was in work. And, um, but it was there for the asking. Lots of people, lots of different. So your, your husband had a DUI, um, a drinking under influence for those who don't know what it is. That really yeah. ticked you off. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. And, um, you know, he ended up having a second one and 
you know, the first one, I just, I had hoped that it would change things. I had hoped it would change his behavior, that he realized this was a destructive habit. And it, it seemed more like he was blaming the cop that pulled him over. And, you know, everything was somebody else's fault and not right. his fault and didn't take shape of his own behavior. And it ultimately ended up getting thrown out. Um, he wasn't convicted of that first one because he had um, wrecked his car and was sitting on the side of the road when the police came along. And so they couldn't technically charge him with driving while intoxicated because he wasn't driving anymore. um, Yeah. And that really amazed me because like his lawyer kept getting it, you know, referred, deferred, deferred. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, it's thrown out. So that's a lot of money. I mean, that that I know I would have been pissed off. It's a lot of money. And then he doesn't get his hand slapped. Like, hello. Yeah, Yeah. not fair. But then he did it again. Then he did it again. And he did get convicted. He lost his license for a year. But they let you drive. I can't remember the exact phrase they used. But for, you know, um, essential activities. that. So it was, you know, to go to To work, work, to you know, get food for your family and, you know, things like that. So it was pretty much almost anything. So he basically was still driving um, and really didn't do anything. Yeah. And what about your children were how old by this time? Teenagers. I think the second one, I think um, actually by the second DUI, I think they were all in college because I remember my uh, youngest was living in Charleston and she went to college of Charleston and, um, yeah, she had wanted him to get in the car, and he was so wasted he couldn't um, go get gas in her car. So that's, that's just, you know. What did they say of, to him, or did they say anything to him? Um, you know, I, I think growing up in that situation, it gradually got worse. It was their life. They didn't know anything. This was just how it was. I think that there were times that uh, he embarrassed them, mm-hmm. um, and Later, much later, um, you know, my oldest daughter was 26 when I finally did ask him to move out. And she said to me, I wish you would have done this 10 years ago, you know, and I, so staying together for the sake of the children is not necessarily a good strategy. Exactly. But you have to do it in your own time. You know, when you're ready, Um, if I had done it, you know, my youngest would have still been pretty young. We would have had, you know, custody things going on and all of that. So, um, as it turned out, I got them all through college and that wasn't my plan, you know, but it's how it kind of worked out is right after they I have to say, I was really surprised when you're, um, you, there was a job that you saw that you loved in California and you thought, oh, this is an amazing job, but I can't go to California. My life is over here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but you were encouraged and you, and you thought of this job as a, you know, a practice interview, but you invited him to come with you. What made you invite him to come with you? I thought, why would she invite him to come with you? Because in the backyard, I'm so happy he's gone over during the week. I love being alone. Like, why would you invite him? Um, I don't, I, I think I was still just optimistic. I, I kept looking for fresh starts. I kept thinking things were going to get better. Yeah. And I guess it was just denial. Um, that's how I would look at it now. It was just denial. Things are not getting better. You yeah. Just go. It's like, my oldest daughter's friends with one of my friends and they were talking about, you know, what is your mom doing? You know, is she really going to move to California? And my oldest daughter even said to her, I think that she just wants to go to California by herself. 
And yet, as you say, I did invite him. I took him along and, you know, he, he actually lived with me in California for the first uh, about year and a half that I was here. And then, you know, it was kind of the beer in the coffee cup thing that kind of was my last straw. You know, so interesting because you and Darlene have been writing for, oh gosh, 20 years, I guess, uh, your life plan. Mm -hmm. And you did, you know, the five year forward and you did, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the idea that, that you're successful facilitator, engineer, manager, all of those things, you got a great job and yet you felt like I can't do this on my own. What was that? Cause you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. Um, many, many women feel I can't do it alone. I need to have somebody there. And, and I thought she doesn't need anybody there. Cause I, I was always like, you go, go, I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave because I don't, you know, I was, I just felt like you didn't know your worth. I've talked to, uh, you're right. I think that's it. It's, you don't trust your own worth. You, you know, you, you were supporting I, him anyway. Really? That's what I, he didn't have a I job. Know, now there's I'm two like, people to support. You know? Yeah. I was, I was carrying the family and uh, managing everything. And, you know, making sure I would always just say, I, I make sure all the balls stay in the air. Yeah. Make sure all the balls stay in the air. I manage everybody's mood and, you know, all of those things. And um, kind of codependent thing, right? So I probably was getting some positive reinforcement for the fact that I could do this. And Aren't you amazing? Um, I, I know. I'm so strong. I can do all this stuff. I can keep balls in the air, you know, even in the face of adversity, whatever. Um, so I was getting some... <laughs> satisfaction from that in some way but yeah. I, I really think I could make it own, you know whether it's financial just I just didn't I didn't see it and yeah my friend Ann that um I talk about in the book that I met through my coaching program we started coaching each other mm -hmm. ICF you have coaching hours to maintain your certification and um so we were coaching each other and she told me she would get so frustrated because I would say like I, she'd say why don't you why don't you just leave why don't mm -hmm. you just leave and it was, I really wanted to make a go of it, you know, committed to this marriage for life thing. And, you know, I kept thinking there's going to be a second chance, fresh start. He got a new job. We moved to a new place. You know, all this is going to get better. So there was a denial aspect. And then there was a piece that I just didn't think I could make it. And, um, you know, she said later, several years later, when I finally did ask him to leave, she was like, why didn't you see that you were already paying for everything you were already running muscle and wouldn't yeah. it be easier to do that without him but I did not see it especially when you're writing it. oh it's so great I love being by myself when he's gone it's just so I just love it <laughs> and I really realized myself when he went away on a camping trip and when he came home and, and it was the first time I really noticed the car got in the driveway and my heart sped up and I go, oh, look at that. That's interesting. All this cortisone is being flooding into me. Not good. I'm not afraid, but he's home. And now I'm like, eh, like who, who's going to walk in that door? You know, Jekyll or Hyde. And, and that's when I really realized, you got to go. You got to go. Like, this is not good for me. And I'm sure it's happening to the children. Like, nobody's happy. Yeah. Except for him. Right. You know, he's because the blame game, everybody's, it's everybody else's fault. Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting yeah. and I'm sure a lot of people you know women who are listening today are are maybe hopefully realizing a few things in their lives that you know they are strong and they can survive on their own and you know what for me I've always said money isn't everything and so if even if like I would leave with nothing um and I always did and left and paid the bills but 
it, it, it was kind of like, you know how to make money. You'll make money again. Money will, will come back to you. But sanity, yeah. <laughs> that's something different. <laughs> you kind of want your sanity. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess today as a coach, you would definitely be having a different conversation with yourself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, you know, I was so in denial and it, and it did change gradually. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you're frog being boiled, right. You know, one degree at a time. And, and so you don't realize it's, it's, it becomes your, the abnormal becomes normal. You know, did, um, yeah. Yeah. Like the frog in the pot. Did the, um, you had a conversation with the moon, your dog woke you up in the middle at 3 a.m. Go, go, you gotta go outside. Go, go, you know, you gotta go outside. And when you went out there and yeah. you look at this moon, you know, you're speaking to the goddess Diana Artemis. Um, when she told you, I think it was her that told you, um, leave him, like leave him. There's somebody for you and there's somebody for him and you know, everything's gonna be okay. Did that make it more okay for you knowing that somebody was going to come along or Knowing that someone else would come along, well, I'm still by myself. I've been, you know, alone four years, and I would love to meet somebody else. But that, um, it, it does help thinking about that. That you know, but I mean, I'm not alone in the sense of not having a man. I mean, I've got lots of friends. I've got a huge right. network of really wonderful friends, and so you know, whether it's a man in my life or whatever, and yeah. now I find myself that I can make it on my own. Um, but well, the, the moon conversation. She said, "Don't go it alone," but she meant use your friends, you know, be, rely on your, yeah. Your you know, as a coach, I, I just, let's have to talk conversation, you know, okay. You're, you're single, you're alone for the last four years, but you're not alone. And where you're at today and the vibration that is going out from you, it, you know, has to, you know, the law of attraction has to mean that you're going to meet somebody at the same vibrational level. So you're not going to have another alcoholic husband. You're going to have somebody who is right here with you up here. At, at this level, this vibration, which is kind of nice to know, you know, yes. and I think that women, a lot of women go, well, gee, I wish I had something better, but then you have to say, well, what are you doing to better yourself? Exactly. You need to match, you need to match what you want, right? Yeah. And you, and you did a lot of courses. I mean, you're like, like me, a professional student, I think. Let's keep going. Let's keep learning. Yeah. What sign are you? I'm just curious. Virgo. Oh, Virgo. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so what got you to write the book now? Yeah. Um, so it started out, you know, we mentioned my friend Darlene that we wrote the book Sunday at 830. Um, we have, we've been doing this life planning process for over 20 years. And at some point, actually one of her daughters said to her, because I told you earlier, we like to read books together and we read it, you know, maybe a dozen or so books a year. And her daughter said, when are you two going to stop reading books and write one? <laughs> and at the time we laughed like, oh yeah, right. But then we started to think about it. And it's like, well, why not? And we started to talk about it with people and tell them what we we're doing. And they were more fascinated by the fact that we had stuck with something for 20 years. I know. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. talk about that. Cause that's amazing to me that, that you guys did that. And that, that, that's part of what, what sign is Darlene? Um, she's also Virgo. Our, our birthdays are three days apart. Actually. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was going to say, she's got to be a Virgo. <laughs> it's, it's kind of that, you know, that stubbornness there too. I think um, it's interesting 
So you guys worked for the same company. You became friends. You had your babies at the same time. A lot of life similarities going on, you know, growing up. You grew up together, basically, you know, into adulthood. So um, I guess it's kind of fair to say. So you took a management course. And is she also also um, uh, an introvert? Yes. In yeah. fact, I was really into Myers-Briggs, and we both had scored the same on our Myers-Briggs. And it, we did. We were kind of collecting some. So you're kind of interchangeable. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the complete opposite. Extrovert Gemini. Um, so you 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 did the higher management courses and, and you found something that kind of worked and it's kind of law of attraction, but it's also business planning and life planning. Yes, exactly. Um, she took the class first and she liked it so much that she encouraged me to take it. And so I went off to take it and then we just started using the process together and we've evolved it over the years. So it's not exactly the same, of course, as it was when we took the class, although we've stayed in touch with one of our instructors and she actually wrote the foreword for our book. Um, but yeah, it's just something that we use and, um, helps us plan. It helps us to be more intentional about the life we want to create. So it is uh, very aligned with the law of attraction, um, mm-hmm. and about what is, what, what kind of life do you want to have and what would, you know, what would just make you light up? And so you, you create a vision for yourself and, um, we have seven areas that we look at. So they include the financial, physical, career, spiritual, and so on. And then we set goals in each of those areas for the year. Right. And we check in. The title of the book comes from the fact that we talk on the phone every Sunday at 8.30 Eastern time. So it's 5.30 for me now that I'm on the West Coast. But um, we've maintained that schedule for years, ever since uh, I left Rochester. You know, it, when I was living nearby, we were having lunch together once a week. And then um, when I, I learned I was going to be moving away, and we cried. We didn't know if we are going to be able to continue with our process, you know. And we, But we made a pact that we would talk on the phone every week and that we would get together twice a year in person. And we have done that um, ever since. And it's been it was, mm, 16 years that we've been doing that. That's incredible. Um, yeah. That's yeah, incredible. So we, yeah. You know, la, la, last week on the show, I had uh, Kimberly Stanwood Terranova, whose book, The Technology of Intention, I thought this is a kind of a good segue to have you on after her. Um, because people are reading that book, and it's really similar in that you write down, you know, what you, you live the life that you intend to live by creating the intention. And that's what you guys, you know, did with, with uh, Sundays at 8 or 8.30, Sundays at 8.30. Um, you, you set your goals. And I love that you put like, I, you have um, a work, like, like a little bit of a workbook in there. Like you show us the process and, and I don't know if it was yours or Darlene's, but somebody had eat chocolate pudding. Like you wrote down like 500 things that, you know, we're going to do this year or something. And I thought that was kind of funny to put that in there, but. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of a brain dump. It's just kind of a. Yeah. It's a know, brain dump. Yeah. You know, climb a mountain, you know. I did the same, something similar with my girlfriend. And it's like, you know, we got it down to 50 things and and we did a, you know, like a brain map kind of thing. We send it to each Mm -hmm. other. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do it. Your way is great. Um, And I really love it a lot. And and the five-year plan. So what would be in a five-year plan? And how did you guys get, how close did you get every, every five years to, to what you had intended? Oh, I love to go back and read them because it's so, it's so fascinating to see. I mean, it's not always you do, you know, five years later, it's exactly what you said, but you can kind of see progress. 
Um, and I would say, you know, when we first started doing it, they were very, it was just kind of, we're going to be five years older and we're going to be kind of doing the same things and we're going to be happy and, you know, we're going to have enough money to do what we want to do and our kids are going to be older and they're going to be and you won't weight. have the excess weight <laughs> it's always in there right <laughs> yeah, yeah we have my ideal weight and all these things you know so um you know for many years they were just kind of like that it was just sort of progressing through life and then my life started to really change or I wanted it to really change because I felt like I was stuck in this alcoholic marriage and um so there, it was kind of a revelation one day when you know we, we would read our visions and then we'd exchange them read them each other's and um Darlene said to me you know, this is the first year you don't have your ex in, or, you know, it wasn't my ex son. It's the first year you don't have Jack in the, in the vision for five years from now. And it was, that was a, that's pretty aha, telling. Right. Yeah. yeah. Big aha sure moment. It's four years later and I don't have them in my life, you know? So, um, things like that or things like, you know, I used to write, I want to live at the beach. And at the time I thought, we were going to retire in, in South Carolina and Charleston and we were going to buy property at the beach and we were, you know, so that's what I had in my mind. Well, now I live on the West coast. I do live at the beach, but it's not necessarily exactly how or what I had envisioned, but right. I'm living at the beach. Sometimes things, you know, <laughs> that's what's so interesting it. about spirit is that, you know, you, you put the intention and you can't tell them how you want it or where it's supposed to be exact, you know, but the intention is there and, it's crazy how all these connections happen and all of a sudden, voila, you're at the beach and not the beach you thought, but a beach, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't say Carolina beach, did you? You just said a beach. So you're going to go where you're going to go, <laughs> but it's cool. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing how it all works out. It really is. It really is. So you have created um, quite a life and a new business for yourself. Are you working for yourself specifically now? I still do have a, a external job, but I am also doing coaching on my own and coaching using the Sunday at 830 process that's in the book. We still use other worksheets and so on. So it's kind of helping walk people through that process and, and um, helping people get unstuck. You know, I was, I thought I was stuck in a situation. I really wasn't, but helping people to see, you know, they're, they're free. Um, they have more power than they know. And, and so helping people to learn to live with intention and with passion and freedom and, and to love themselves, you know, you're, we're all worth it. We're worth it. So we should be able to create the life we want. Yes. And do you still feel passionate about things? Do I feel passionate about things? I guess I'm just, you know, it's an age thing. I'm just, I'm just curious for my own, you know, I, after 60, a lot of people, you know, start to feel like, um, sometimes you feel like I've done so much, like there's no, there's no passion left. Like I, I, I want to do something different, new, but I don't know what it is. So, and, and you kind yeah. of, you know, cause you're always reinventing and reinventing and reinventing until you don't know what you want to reinvent to. And then it's kind of like a, a doll and you have to sit for a while. So just wondering if the passion is still there for creating and, and reinventing. I would say um, I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of in that place of seeking something to be passionate about. I am looking for a new opportunity. I'd like to be able to leave my day job, and that's kind of why I have been exploring and you know building a website and and speaking like this and and doing some coaching and just kind of seeing what's out there, and what's next for me. Well, everything is is open, which is so exciting. Really, I mean, you get to create with intention your new your new life, 
and and the one that you know the one that you're living i'm really really curious though about um the conversation that you had with the moon with diana is she still talking to you just recently we had a conversation yeah it was interesting uh she hadn't for a long time i i when i was in north carolina and i was struggling with what to do about my marriage um i was in this coaching program and um we were learning about the voices in your head you know not like crazy voices but no i call members of the board (laughs) (laughs) exactly this is exactly that same concept yeah so you know, we were asked to identify a situation and then what were all the voices, you know, who, and even name them and, you know, yeah. give them a melody and have them talk to each other and, you know, all this stuff. So we were kind of having some fun with that. So I had all these people, you know, I had this good wife saying, you know, you need to stay married. And, you know, and then I had this other one that was like, no, you know, go off on your own. Like I had just been taking all these um, Reiki classes and all that. So I had the kind of the, the wise woman and healer, you know, that's emerging and she has, has her voice and all these people. And it was kind of confusing to sort that out. So I was working with Anne, my friend, who's, um, you know, was also in the coaching program. We continue to coach each other. And um, so she's helping me sort these out. We're naming them. And uh, then one night I had a dream that this one was, they, the, all my voices were like sitting around a table talking, like having coffee kind of thing. And this, this one just appeared and she started flying around over them and she's shouting at them. <laughs> so I named her the sorceress. And so um, I had a couple dreams. And then as you know, as you said earlier, one night my dog woke me up. You know, I had two dogs and um, they were good sleepers, never got up in the night and they kept nudging me, kept nudging me. So like, oh, I just got to go out. So it's like, you know, three o'clock in the morning. We go outside and the moon was big and full and, I just, it, I don't know how to describe it other than it was like the moon was talking to me. I heard a voice in my head and, and she was saying, you know, <laughs> you're missing the point. You know, you're, you're trying to decide. I, my thing was I was trying to decide if I should stay in Raleigh where I lived or move to Greenville, South Carolina where my husband was living. And, you know, all, it's, it's, it's not about just making a decision about where you're going to live. It's about, you know, who do you want to be and how do you want to feel? And she's trying to get me out of that. Just yes. Like, move you know and yeah about feelings and as i said at the top of the show this was the engineer that was stopping you really from making the decision easier for you right it was logic it was pros and cons right like and it was you know going back to the law of attraction how do you feel right And, and aligning your vibration with what you want and and so she's trying to get me there and so i didn't still have a name for her but then call my friend ann and, um, she, you know, so we were talking about it. She has a very different background from me. She's a, a professor of medieval literature and she oh. is a, an alcoholic herself and she's a practicing witch. Um, uh, and so she had all these different perspectives. And so as we were talking about it, she said, you know, I just really feel that these conversations with the moon that you're having sounds like the goddess Diana, because she is the goddess of the moon and she does uh, work through dogs. She's like the goddess of the hunt as well. And you know, someone you see drawings of her often she's surrounded by yep. dogs and that kind of thing. So she, she she said you ought to just kind of study up on her and learn more about that. And so I did and um you know got some insights from doing that. And she continued we continued to have um conversations the whole time I was in North Carolina. And then when I moved to California I didn't didn't really hear from her. I'd go outside and I'd see the moon and you know I'd be like hi you know but nothing was like coming to me. But honestly, just a couple months ago when I started to um, 
publicize my book. And sorry, I've got a barking dog. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Don't be but, sorry. Uh, it's okay. We're talking about dogs and Diana, so they, they have yeah, they're picking up. They're picking up. <laughs> um, but uh, the voice that I heard um, just recently was um, it was all about you need to be above reproach. Like people are going to be looking at you. You know, you're going to be more visible, and you need to be. Um, so take stock. That was what she said. She said, take stock, take stock of yourself and make sure that you are you know, being the kind of person you want to be and um, you will need to be above reproach. So I thought that was a very interesting message, but that was just uh, maybe a couple it, it months It is ago. an interesting message. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, when I talk to, I, I do coaching of women in relationships a lot and I have a book on it and it was, the whole book is how do you want to feel in that relationship? It's not about what they look like or anything. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel protected? Do you want to feel loved? Do you want to feel, you know, safe? Do you want to feel like you want to, you know, be able to laugh and look at them and know what they're like? How do you want to feel? And it's really about designing that, that feeling in relationship um, rather than anything else, you know, what they drive or how they look or what, you know, what house do they live in and all the silly things that women think about. Um, because when you get down to it, it's how do you feel in that relationship? How do they make you feel? And you are feeling neglected. And you don't ever want to feel like that again in a relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, you know, so some takeaways, hopefully, that, that people get is, you know, look for the signs of the alcoholic. But really, the, the thing is that you are always strong. And that, that blame game takes away your power. When people are blaming other people, they don't realize that they give away power. And when you accept responsibility, you have all the power in the world. So it, it's, it's the opposite, really. That's a great lesson. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, what, what else do you want to tell us? Do you want to tell, what would you like to tell us? Is there something that we missed? Um, I think you hit on so many of the key points. And, you know, I, I just would love to leave people um, with the message that you have way more power than you know. And you can create the life you want. And support it because you're worth it. Self-love is, is something that's very difficult, I think, for women. Um, we feel judged a lot. And I think that judgment from society, how we look and uh, our weight and all kinds of stuff, it makes it difficult for us to look in a mirror and go, I love you. Uh, because we get caught yeah. up in this, in the stupidity of the outer appearance. Instead of looking inside, what are your good qualities? You know, what are your values? And, and how do you help the world? And how do you help other people? When we miss out on that, and we all we look at is, oh, I've got, a, you know, some wrinkles here, or I've got, you know, saggy boobs, or so I'm not worth it anymore and it's very sad it's a hard it lesson it is a hard lesson I, I think we feel judged and i i think we feel selfish i think we feel somehow selfish to put our own needs before others you know as a mom your kids need to go first your husband's needs to go first and your employers and your aging parents and you know all these things yes. and there's, there's no energy left for yourself yeah you know, it's kind of you know we put on the um, airline oxygen mask for yourself first before you put it on for That's others. Take care of yourself. You're not going to have the energy to give to others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I always say, you know, we come into this world alone and we leave alone, and everybody in between are here for our journey. You know, as lessons for our journey or, or whatever the case may be. Um, 
And so if you have to do something in this life, it's your life. It's only the one life that you get. So you have to do it is, you know, to give all that up for other people. That's ridiculous. Really? So if you're not happy in a relationship, don't feel guilty about leaving it. There, you know, people are here for a reason, season, a lifetime, and they could just be like a, a walk-in kind of situation. You know, you, you hate to say the starter marriage um, because it, it sounds like defeat before you even begin. But sometimes that's what it is, right? My kids get mad yeah. they heard you say that. <laughs> yeah. Thirty years in a starter. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, but it was it was a it was a lesson, long lesson for you and, and him, and hopefully, you know, I'm is is he happy today? Is he still drinking? Do you know? Have you heard from him? I don't know. I don't uh, correspond with him, although he does speak with my children. Um, he is remarried, so I'm happy. Oh, has he? Okay. I certainly wish him happiness. Yeah, actually. of course. Yeah. You know, sometimes people. Um, I'm sure that your success. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, you know, sometimes the woman's success makes the man feel less competent. Unfortunately. I think unfortunately that was the case because I was doing well in my career and he did too for a long time, but I think the drink just got to him and you know, he he was very good at what he did. Very good engineer and was in demand. um, But I think the demands of the alcohol kind of took over and he wasn't able to continue to perform at the level he had. And so his career started to decline. And I think that was very difficult for the ego as well. So yeah. not able to take care of the household and the family and, you know, provide the income and he was losing jobs and, um, you know, he would always get another job quickly to his credit, <laughs> but it, it just wasn't able to keep up to with keep it. them. Yeah. Well, I hope that your kids are good. They've got a wonderful example in their mom and, um, just congratulations on a book well-written and enjoyable, you know, where it really is a good read. And uh, I know it's your life, but it's still a good read. Um, not boring. And, and, <laughs> and, and also Sunday at 830. I mean, if people, that's a big commitment, um, but it seems like a worthwhile commitment. It worked for you guys, you and Darlene. Is Darlene not going out in, in, um, she doesn't really want to do interviews. Um, she's actually an executive at an agency that um, works with uh, different agencies that support children with special needs primarily. Okay. She's very busy with that. And um, she wanted to write the book. She was excited about writing the book. And that was kind of like a check the box for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did it. There yeah, you go. She's very happy and excited that we did it. But she doesn't really want to be in interviews right now. Um, and I know you'd asked me earlier why I wrote my book and um, I started to tell you by explaining about writing Sunday at 830 and uh, one of our areas that we look at in the work planning is spiritual and um, so she had said to me would you write a chapter for our book on your spiritual journey because you know it's, it's just been so rich and unusual and uh, would be a good example for the books so I started doing that and then I said to her you know I think it's more than a chapter it's a book and she's she said go for it just write you know go ahead and write your own book yeah so so they're linked very connected but um yeah well good for you to have a wonderful friend like that for life uh you're very fortunate yeah yeah i you know i wish that for everybody well thank you very much and you have your website let's tell, tell everybody your website please it's called evolve without limits 
So Evolve Without Limits, and you can go there and uh, you can see everything that uh, Rebecca is doing, and you can hire her as a speaker, as a coach, as whatever you're doing. Are you doing uh, Reiki and readings and stuff too? I do. I, I, I will do, uh, I like to do distance Reiki treatments. It's kind of a sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's looking for distance Reiki, it's very effective. You'd be surprised. Those of you who don't know, um, it's wonderful and very relaxing and promotes healing. Um, so I'd love to do that for you. And I incorporate um, various spiritual tools as part of my coaching. So um, use of crystals and spirit animal readings and soul retrievals and whatever is needed. That's that. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. Well, wonderful to meet you. Uh, we're going to go off Facebook. We'll just say goodbye, Facebook people. I'm just going to stop our streaming here. And okay, let me just stop the recording too.